Hello and welcome to the FT Advisor podcast, the weekly podcast series brought to you by FT Advisor. Each week we'll be joined by guests from the financial services world to discuss the most pressing industry issues. I'm Imogen Chu, reporter at FT Advisor, and joining me today is Alistair Fullerton, Director and Financial Advisor at Lathan Co Wealth Advisors, and Simon Bussey, Director of Wealth at consultancy firm Altus. Welcome to you both and thank you for joining us. Hi there. Hi there. The cost of advice has been a much-discussed topic for a number of years. The pros and cons of percentage charging and the fee pressures facing advisors have been the subject of much debate, while the arrival of some big names to the market is expected to cause a shake-up. More recently, the FCA warned advisors that consumers could be financially harmed by paying excessive fees for both products and services. So what exactly does the future hold for the cost of advice? There's been lots of talk of pressure on advisor costs from both sides, uh, pressure to keep costs low, as well as pressure on their own costs from external factors. Alistair, what's kind of been driving this? Um, Where do you see it going? Yeah, I think it's all come from um, increased information in the world, I think. Um, If you look back at the sort of late 80s and early 90s, when sort of retail investment products really took hold, um, there was a lot less information readily available for people, whereas now in the digital era, people expect to understand what they're paying and what they're getting for, what service they're paying for, really. So that's where I see it coming from, the pressure coming from. To pick up on Alice's point, there's uh, there's so much now free information that that consumers uh, absolutely want to see value. Uh, and, and transparency in, in, in exactly what they're getting. So from an advisor perspective, they've really got to create a, a model that that reflects you know, what, what the customer wants, but but also obviously delivers profit for, for them. And there's some really interesting models, I think, in the, in the United States, which are really trying to move the, uh, uh, the sort of the, the d- debate onwards. I've heard from a number of advisors that kind of increasing regulatory burden is meaning that they may, might have to uh, you know, have more staff, maybe spend less time with clients. Is that something that you think advisors are facing, Alistair? Uh, it isn't. There is extra cost involved with the regulatory burden, but there's still plenty of, plenty of room in, within advisor businesses for profit margin. I think more staff is the obvious short-term fix, but longer-term advice firms can maybe consider technology and different ways that they can lower costs long-term to be able to handle more clients. I think that's more of a sustainable long-term solution rather than a short-term fix of, of looking for more staff. But I think the model in itself still works even with increased regulatory cost at the moment. Yeah, uh, for, from our perspective, so we're, we're consulting with a number of firms, whether it be uh, sort of global banks all the way through to uh, smaller advisory firms and pretty much everybody in between. And the, the common denominator is the increased use of technology. Um, but it, it's making sure that the, the technology that's being used is actually fit for purpose for the proposition that the uh, the firm is is looking to develop, whether that be a back-end platform, sort of middle office or, or front-end, mm-hmm. and some of the, there's, there's some fantastic bits of kit out there, it's then how you actually join those bits of kit together and uh, and use them as part of your, your overall sales process or, or servicing process and so on. A recent launch to the market was Bancroft Wealth. Uh, they've pledged to offer a full IFA service, however, digitally, so either on the phone or computer, um, but a human advisor at the end of it, um, for a flat £500 fee per year. Now, um, I've been speaking to Bancroft Wealth and they said that uh, the average fee their clients that have moved over were paying before was about £6,000. If they're offering a full service, Simon, I don't know your thoughts on this. Does this seem commercially viable to you from kind of Bancroft's 
perspective? And what impact do you think their arrival will have on the market? So, so it's interesting. So when they say a full service, I, I look at what a, a full service advisory firm would offer, and that would include estate planning, tax planning, uh, the, the, the whole gamut of uh, uh, of what a client might need. It's, it's putting in place a financial plan. It's really understanding somebody's needs, ambitions, goals, dreams in life. Now, I'm not certain that that is what Bancroft are actually offering. Sure. It felt it feels to me from what I've seen on on their their website is it's more a, um, a narrower wealth management service. And that's not to decry that, but if we're going to compare then we need to be, be comparing like for like. Mm. Uh, it feels to me it's more akin to perhaps the advice service that, say, a Nutmeg or Scalable Capital are offering, okay. um, which is a, effectively a, a wealth management um, proposition going into some some investment funds or portfolios and, and going through a, a fairly linear journey into that as opposed to a, a full financial planning service. Yeah, I completely agree. I, I think it's it's good for the industry to have lower cost options. I think you mentioned at the beginning that there is the advice gap. And for years and years, people have struggled. Traditional wealth managers have got their minimum asset under management that they expect people to have before they'll deal with them. Um, and more and more so with the introduction of things like robo-advice and these sort of capped investment models, it, it does just provide a lower barrier to entry for people to to get advice, which is a good thing for the industry. Um, personally, if we try to try and implement it for our business, it wouldn't be a profitable business model. But I don't fully understand the Bancroft business model, their types of clients, their average asset under management, and whether that fits their business model. Um, on the headline, £500 a year flat fee sounds cheap. But if you look at smaller clients, for instance, Anything, I, I did a quick sum, it didn't take much math, but anything but less 50,000 and that's a 1% annual management mm. charge for an ongoing advice fee, which would be at the highest end of, of what you'd expect. So it just depends on the type of clients, mm. what they're targeting really, but um, certainly grabs the headlines and it's good that it's lowered the barrier to entry for advice. Bancroft was saying that some of their clients, I mean, it was an average of kind of six grand a year fee, but they told me that about one client that was paying £34,000 a year for advice. So that was a couple who had about three and a half million AUM, um, a few complex things like offshore bonds and stuff, but standard, pretty standard SIPs and, and, and the like. I mean, to me, that sounds, that sounds extortionate. Is that the kind of figures that are commonly found in the market? Uh, not not many people have got three million pounds worth of investable asset, so not that common. Um, but it's without being specific on types of fees that are charged. I guess it's like any type of service. Some people want to pay lots of money, and but in return they'd expect higher value for that service. Maybe a more personalised service. Maybe more investments in some of the peripheral elements of the service. Um, others at the other end of the spectrum might just want some sort of comfort and some sort of service and want a flat cap so i think there's different scales within it to be honest well i think fees again go back to what we were saying earlier which you're you're, you're paying for a service so uh, and from a personal perspective i always want value for money so happy to pay a, a higher fee for something as long as i'm going to get value for it so the the key for me is looking what am i actually getting for the service that's being provided and then then you can uh, then you can compare and I think the the important point from Bancroft to anybody else is if you're comparing yourself to other wealth management firms is that you're actually looking at the services that you're offering relative to everybody else and then then customers can can make a a clear comparison. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a good point. It's not just about the fee, it's the fee combined with the service. 
and the two, if there's a metric to, to sort of what equals value, it would be a combination of those two. Um, and then people, the thing is that transparency as well, because not every single client fully understands the, the range of options available to them. They, they often just go to the first advisor they come across that is shared with them from a friend. So they don't spend a lot of time looking across the spectrum and the information is not readily available for them. And um, there's a lack of transparency of, of service fees across the board, really. Sure. Uh, I don't think we can really talk about entrance to the market without mentioning Vanguard, mm-hmm. who uh, announced that they had received regulatory approval for some kind of advice offering in the UK. We don't know much. All we know that it's going to be bespoke to the UK, so it's not going to be a carbon copy of kind of their US advice. It's known for its kind of low cost, mainly because it's involvement with passive funds, but it's kind of value for money ethos. How do you think this is going to affect the market, Simon? We don't know exactly what they'll do, but if uh, if we take what they've done historically in the US and also in the UK, then we can be pretty certain that it will be low cost. From what I've read, it looks like it's uh, an investment advice proposition as opposed to full financial planning regulated advice. So, so I guess that that's still to be be confirmed. If that's the the case, and they 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 follow what they've done historically, then they they will be a competitive. Uh, player, um, undoubtedly, uh, no doubt they'll they'll be using their own, uh, primarily their their own funds proposition, which obviously keeps keeps fund um, costs down as well. And if we look, I suppose, at, at what they've achieved in the in the US, uh, their their advice proposition is for clients that have got fifty k plus. Now, I, I would think in the UK they'll do something much lower than that. But if we if we look at um, the US, then yeah, fifty k plus very low fees uh, and interestingly in the US they've, they're also now piloting a pure robo proposition without the advice piece so it's almost the the flip of what's going on in the UK oh wow okay. yeah so which again very low cost I think it's 0.15% so so they they will be a they will be a player um, and particularly because they're also introducing the sip proposition later yes. this year as well so they're beginning to broaden out the overall piece that or proposition yeah, sure. that they've got yeah, I agree. They're a big brand. It's uh, when a big brand comes into an industry like this, then it, w- it will make news articles. Um, I think we're quite cynical of asset managers creating distribution arms for themselves to basically pr- turn themselves into tight advisors. So it's not. It's a sort of. It will provide low cost value advice, I'm sure, because of their fees and, like you said, the nature of Vanguard is low fees. But um, in terms of whether it's completely personalised or not will remain to be seen because they're effectively, it'll be a Vanguard advisor talking about Vanguard platform and Vanguard funds, which is much the same as St. James's Place or any other vertically integrated firm. Something that we think draws away from quality advice. We think independence is a real key um, driver for giving quality advice and providing value for money. Um, But certainly Vanguard with its brand offering a straightforward, simple, low-cost option, um, it will be a big impact in the market. And for many people that perhaps can't afford an IFA of the smaller amounts of money, then then I think there there could well be a a place that perhaps doesn't tread on on your toes. Yeah, but it uh, it, it does fill out that gap that RDR has created, sadly, yeah. which see the robos have sort of tried to fill. Um, and we perhaps we talk about that in a in a little <laughs> bit. Wait and um, see on that front. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, do you think? Do you think there's a there's a bigger problem here with vertically integrated firms in general? Sure, some makes a you make a very positive point that they're filling potentially a cheaper kind of gap that well is better than nothing. But if you do have um, 
advisors who are solely talking about Vanguard funds and sorry, talking about the Vanguard platform and how much true advice are, they, are those clients actually going to get? Do you think? Do you think that's a problem with all kind of vertically integrated um, firms? Talking Quilter, SJP, etc. So I wouldn't necessarily put Vanguard in the same bracket as uh, sure. the uh, the others. I suppose from uh, if I look at this sort of dispassionately, uh, take my daughter. So she's in, she's in her twenties. Now, can she afford to go to an IFA? No, she can't. Could she do something on her own? Yes, she could. Would she know what to do? No, she wouldn't. Could she talk to Vanguard and end up with something that's pretty good, low cost, and would set her on the way until she's more established? Yeah, I'd be happy with that. Yeah, I agree. I think the Vanguard the Vanguard offering will be good. We're really cynical against vertical integration. Whilst we're really pro lowering the the, the sort of the the barrier to entry for the market. Um, in that example, a young person looking at a simple offering. I personally don't see how much added value an advisor would offer in that scenario because there'd be nothing stopping the same young person finding a Vanguard website, following a simple risk questionnaire and picking the level of risk for a tracker that they'll they'll pay for anyway. The only addition that the advisor will add is more fees with a, not much added value in our opinion in that example. So the FCA seems to be pretty beady-eyed on value for money this year. It's already sent out, I think, three or four Dear CEO, mm-hmm. dear CEO letters and many of which say uh, that asset managers, they're concerned they're not providing uh, value for money, that advisors need to make sure that the products and services are value money for the customer. What do you think we can expect from the regulator this year? <sighs> I think they need to get themselves a bit more organised, to be honest. Um, there's, a, there's, there's a big... I hope they're not listening. Uh, yeah. They're going to send it to you. Yeah, they'll probably be straight in touch after this. But um, no, the industry is crying out for a bit of organisation, specifically around PI cover. Um, it's really difficult at the moment. Insurers, there's a hard market in general in insurance. And the FCA, whether they've deliberately meant to or not, specifically surrounding DB transfers, has scared insurers out of the market, which is then in turn hampering advisors acquiring PI insurance, whether they do DP transfers or not, which is then in turn having a knock-on effect of the advice gap. So um, I think that's a big thing that we need to get organised this year. Whether or not it'll happen, it all depends. And the insurance market is a separate force in itself and that will ebb and flow and harden and soften over time. So it remains to be seen, but um, that's what... I think we'd like to see from the FCA. Um, I'm not sure this year they're ready to bring out full-scale changes to determine providing value or creating rules around advisors of how to illustrate how they provide value. But you can see on their website, there's the initial seeds of exploration are being put in place where they're looking at setting up different sort of sand pits to encourage technology to try and try and find a way to digitalize because the information is there within all the firms and the answers are there, but there isn't quite the flow of information yet for the regulator to be able to do their job easily and, and thoroughly. Yeah, I suppose it, it goes back to uh, one of the points you said, I think, right at outset, which is there's this uh, greater pressure on advisors on, from a fee perspective, and we've just seen uh, sort of the, the 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 level of fees for sort of the compensation funds and and the like sort of they're shooting up and it is crazy, and so there has to be something which measures the the quality complexity and risk of a firm relative to to fees and so on, and otherwise you you end up penalising the good guys, and that that this doesn't mm. seem seem right to me, and. Uh, so on on the one hand you you've got fees going up, and then on the other hand you've got the the same regulator beating everybody up 
mm. uh, <laughs> around yeah. their fees. Uh, and and that's not to say that there's still not too much fat in, in the industry uh, of our profession, because there there is. But it, it, I suppose it's looking at things in, in the round and talking to more advisors, really, and, and quality advisors and working out what should happen as mm. opposed to just coming out with uh, with mandates. We, we've mentioned it a few times, but, but we can't speak about the cost of advice without bringing up the advice gap. Many consumers are priced out of advice. Do you think we will see this narrow as the cost of advice is perhaps driven down by these entrants and perhaps by robo-advisors that may come in and, and provide kind of a, a good service, um, Alistair? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I think that's completely positive for the industry and, and for clients because um, it's well documented that there's an advice gap. Some advisors, the more traditional wealth managers, aren't simply aren't interested in smaller clients. Us as a younger firm are interested in smaller clients, but then we have limitations of how many clients that we can look after and we still need to provide good service to all of the clients. So a digital type offering that can quickly acquire clients and look after them with minimal input, it's certainly going to be a benefit for the industry. And I can definitely see the, the advice gap narrowing over the next sort of five or 10 years. So I'm, I'm a, a strong um, proponent of digital or robo propositions, but not necessarily the ones that exist today. Okay. Uh, so they, they've, they've come to market over the last three or four years. Uh, many have just replicated what others have done. Uh, We've seen in the States a number have failed. We've seen a number have failed in the, in the UK and elsewhere around, around the world. So we ask ourselves, so why is that? And for me, it's typically because they're trying to flog a product. They're not trying to meet a customer need or solve a, uh, a customer problem. And until the proposition teams of these firms actually get their head around that, then they will continue to go down the same path. That said, there are some now who, for me, are, are actually trying to think from a more consumer-friendly perspective. So you look at, say, what Anthony Morrow's doing at Open Money with the team. Mm. Now, they are absolutely trying to help consumers solve problems, right? Not, not just an investment problem, but they're looking at mortgages, they're looking at pensions, they're looking at protection and so on. That, that for me, is the, the right sort of thinking. It's going in the right direction. For, for those organisations that insist on purely trying to do, ask a few questions, a risk profile, and stick somebody in a model portfolio attached to an ISA, I'm, that that is not the model for me that's going to yeah. work. No. Simon, Alistair, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for listening to the FT Advisor podcast. Tune in next week for the next episode. Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. In unscripted conversations with investment professionals, you'll hear real stories about successes and lessons learned, informed by decades of investment experience. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. New episodes are available monthly. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes in an episode today. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc., 